0: I began this morning by asking whether you ever wondered whether the preacher was preaching at you. And I talked this morning about the fact that the Pharisees of Jesus' day knew that the preacher was preaching at them. We saw this morning in a parable from Mark chapter 12 that the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders were outraged when Jesus told the parable about the wicked tenants, the people that God had lent, if you will, the vineyard to, and he sent messengers to them, and they beat one, and they stone another, and they kill this one, and shamefully treat that one. And Jesus' message is, your lease is running out, boys. God has sent his only son, his beloved son, and you will kill him and cast him out of the vineyard, but that owner is going to come and destroy those wicked men. Really, he was saying, you. And they were furious. They didn't like that very much. Well, I realized it was really the same thing I should begin with tonight, because if you ever wonder whether this preacher is preaching at you, I'd say most of the time I'm not. Most, and I'm just just kidding. I should say, don't worry about that too often. But Jesus did. I actually wonder whether I should start preaching at you more, maybe calling you out by name. I don't know. It, It seems to be an effective trait. Notice what Jesus says here, or Luke tells us about Jesus in Luke 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable about certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Did I read that rightly? Folks, you're going to have to look at your Bibles, okay? Um, We're making a point here. And he spake this parable about certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Did I read that right? No. He spoke this parable, what's the next word? Unto those. Don't you love it that Jesus didn't go around speaking about people around their back. He spoke to them. He spoke a parable to them. He was preaching at them. Now, notice what he said. Notice what he said. This parable, Luke tells us, was unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were utterly certain, they were utterly confident that they were righteous in the sight of God. And notice what comes next. And despised others. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were proud. And they despised, they held others In contempt, they were prejudiced. If you thought that I was going to be able to resist the temptation this evening to title this message, Pride and Prejudice, you're wrong. I was not able to resist the temptation. That is the title of our message, with all apologies to Jane Austen and the preacher that I blatantly ripped it off from. Yes, the title of the message this evening is Pride and Prejudice. Because that's really what Jesus is getting at. Last Sunday evening, we talked about relationships. And we mentioned the fact that Jesus gives us no option to resist relational conflict, or I should say, dwell easy with relational conflict with other believers. He says that if we have been sinned against, we go and we raise it with the other brother. He says in another place that if we know we have sinned against someone else, we leave our gift at the altar, and we go and we be reconciled. In other words, both parties, when there is relational conflict in marriage, in family, in a church, should be running toward each other. We should not be content to see relational conflict go entirely unresolved. But what I want us to notice here tonight is that Jesus, in this very famous parable, this very well-known story about the publican who goes up to the temple to pray and the Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray, it's not solely about vertical relationship, man's relationship with God. It's about horizontal relationship, man's relationship with each other. That's why Jesus preached at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And tonight, I want to encourage us, as I encourage myself, to look for my own pride, to look for my own prejudice that in relational, conce- in, in relational context both with God and with others can hinder and indeed block any real fellowship with God and with others like this Pharisee. We're just going to look at these, this text here in just three different components. First, we're going to look at pride. Secondly, we're going to look at prejudice. And thirdly, we're going to look at a different pattern Altogether, a surprising pattern, the pattern of the publican. Let's start by looking at pride. Pride. Where does pride show up in this parable? Well, Jesus is getting to the very heart of it. There is a man who trusts in himself that he is righteous. And I want us to look at this Pharisee together. Will you notice with me in verse 10 as Jesus gets in to this story? Two men went up into the temple to pray. Both of them are going to God's house. Both of them are going to have a religious observance of some kind. They are going to pray to seek, at least in, in some outward external form, a relationship with God. The one a Pharisee holding to the strictest religious observance of the day, and the other, a publican. Now, what is a publican? A publican is a tax collector. And if you need to know about the reputation of the tax collectors of that day, think of the reputation of the IRS agent today in our society. But then multiply it by this sense. I actually heard one pastor give this analogy. I thought it was was very wise. If you've ever not paid your credit card bill in a month, maybe even inadvertently, and you got your bill the next month and you saw how much Visa or Discover or Amex jacked up your bill with what? Interest, 20 plus percent interest rates for you if you, if you miss your bill and you said, what on earth? This pastor said, now imagine if the U.S. government delegated all of its tax collection function to Visa and Discover and Amex and gave them entire carte blanche to collect taxes at whatever exorbitant interest they wanted. How would you like that tax collector? How would you like that IRS agent? Oh, I'm sorry, you have this piece of unreported income? Well, that's interesting. We're slapping a 25% surcharge on it. Oh, you don't like that? Well, I'm sorry. Take it up with the Roman government. Give me my money. This was a ripoff. It was theft. It was robbery. It was extortion. And these fat cats, these tax collectors who would be Jewish people in cahoots with the hated Roman state, milking the poor, milking those who couldn't defend themselves, they were the utter scum of society. They were the hated elements. They were sellouts, they were traitors, they were thieves, they were at the bottom of the bottom. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us about this story. The Pharisee, the religious of the most religious. The publican at the very bottom of the barrel. The scum of Jewish society. That's the the contrast he set up. Now notice how the Pharisee jumps in. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood... So the Pharisee is very comfortable with being seen as we have seen from other stories that Jesus told and other teaching. He stands and he prays thus with himself. He may have been standing off by himself in a kind of holier-than-thou posture. And notice what he says, God, I thank thee. Now if you were just to stop the prayer right there, you'd say, well, we're off to a good start. God, I thank you. You say, good, Mr. Pharisee, until you keep on going. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even as this publican you can just see him pointing his crooked index figure this publican over here i fast twice in the week i give tithes of all that i possess let me ask you this um, quickly friends who's the star of this prayer who's the star the Pharisees, the star How many times does he say the word I in his prayer? Count. How many times? I see five. Five different times he refers to himself. God, I thank you that I am not, and here's what I do. His pride was manifested in the star of his prayer, the star of the show. Now, friends, beware of this. Beware of this. How often are we the star of the stories that we tell? Be honest with ourselves. How often are we the star of the, st- of the stories we tell? Be honest. How often are we the star of the prayers that we pray publicly? Have you ever heard this prayer? God, I thank you that you helped me do this. We should ask ourselves seriously, who's the star there? Oh, it started with God, I thank you. So did the Pharisees. But who was the star? God, I thank you that I was able to do X, Y, and Z. Now, there's a wonderful opportunity for us tonight to have testimonies. We should give testimony to what God is doing. But let's make sure who's the star of the show. The star of the show better not be us. It better truly be him. God, I thank you. Good. But not when what follows is I, 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 I. Be honest with ourselves tonight. Who's the star of the show when you're talking to other Christians? I, I can tell you honestly how easy this is to slip into. It is so easy when, especially when we're talking about the kinds of things the Pharisee is talking about. Notice what he says next. I thank thee that I am not as other men are. So he is testifying about what he is not. I'm not an extortioner. I don't rip people out of money. I'm not unjust. That is, I'm not a cheat. I don't don't go around looking to get money from people unfairly. And he says, I'm not an adulterer. I'm faithful to my wife. Now, we could ask ourselves honestly, well, is he? Is he all of these things? The fact is, Jesus doesn't tell us one way or the other. But I do want, us to, I do want to say this. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, said of his own testimony before he met Christ, he says, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, what was he? Blameless. Do you know that was an accurate testimony? Do you know Paul would have been this guy standing up and saying, I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, and I'm not an adulterer, and as, turn, as, the, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, Paul's own inspired testimony about himself says, I'm, I was blameless? There was no one that could have looked at my public testimony of life and say, Paul, you're a liar. This man might have had a blameless testimony according to the righteousness which is by the law as well. I am not. By the way, do you notice how his pride was? We'll get into this in just a minute. He characterized other people by what they were. Uh, you are an extortioner. You are unjust. You, you are an adulterer. It was their character. But what did, how did he measure his life? By who he was or by what he did? Notice what comes next. When it comes to himself, verse 12, it's about what he did, what he does. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Scholars tell us that very, very elevated, the most spiritual of the spiritual Pharisees would fast every week on Monday and Thursday. And one commentator says that, when the, that those two days were when the country people would come in to market in the city of Jerusalem. And remember when Jesus says, you Pharisees, you fast so that everyone will, you will, everyone will see that you're fasting? Because they would dress and they would act as in such a way that they were being so pious, we're fasting yet again today, we're part of our, our religious and ceremonial devotion. He, they were convinced that the spiritual exercises they were doing were the ground of their relationship with God. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And do you know what he was saying? God, I thank you that I fast twice in the week. I thank you that I give tithes of all that I possess. And now before we judge this guy too harshly, can we just turn the spotlight on ourselves and be honest? I'm turning this on myself right now. How many times have we given a testimony that says, by the grace of God, Many years ago, I committed to read my Bible every single day, and you know what I have? By the grace of God, I decided that I needed to spend an hour of time alone with God every day. And you know, by the grace of God, thank you, Lord, I've done it. You know, God, you convicted me to go out and give the gospel to the lost one, to, to one person every day this week. And you know what, God? I did. And what, what are we doing? We're broadcasting it. God, I thank you about everything that I've done for you. Let's be honest, friends. Who's the star? Who's the star? I'm not saying that kind of statement is always wrong. We see testimony in Scripture. I'm not. Please, next time someone gets up and says that, don't say, proud! Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying being honest with yourself when you do it. Be honest with yourself. Who's the star? Who do you intend to be the star? God, I thank you that I do these wonderful moral and ceremonial observances. Here's the other thing that I see, though, about this man. His pride is not only in his comparison to others, not only in his concern for what he did, but his certainty, his certainty. You say, what do I mean? Notice what Luke says who Jesus is talking to. He says, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were utterly certain. They were utterly convinced of their own righteousness. This Pharisee, you could have not convinced him otherwise that he was righteous before God because he was morally righteous and because he was ceremonially righteous righteous. Look at everything that I do. And can we turn the spotlight on ourselves again, friends? How often do we really see ourselves as certainly, certainly in a good standing with God based on what we do? And maybe more importantly, what we are not. I'm not like that. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm different. You know, friends, it's very easy for us to fall, I think, into this very seductive trap. Utter certainty that of my own righteousness. Proverbs tells us that though every way of man is right in whose own eyes. His eyes. Every way of man is right. And it doesn't take long for us to come across people who just come across with this utter certainty that they are right. In any given situation, they are right. How do you know? I'm right. Beware, beware, beware. Think about the Apostle Paul. A man who, who may have walked closer to God than just about anyone in our church age who was gifted of God to do so many things for him. Listen to what Paul said about his own ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. He was saying, honestly, to the Corinthians, kindly, but he was saying, I really don't care what your judgment of my ministry is. I'm being honest with you. I don't care. Listen to what he said. Or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. I I don't put a conclusive judgment on even myself. I don't do that. Listen to what he said. For I know nothing by myself. Now, here's what I think he's saying. I don't know anything that would be a stain on my ministry right now. I know nothing of my own judgment. I know nothing against my record right now. But listen to then what he says. Yet am I not hereby justified? My conscience is not condemning me in any part of my ministry right now, Paul says. He says, but that doesn't mean I'm right. Listen to what he says. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Friends, beware of your own certainty. Beware of your own conviction of your own righteousness. Beware of the, cert- the black and white certainty that in every circumstance, I am right, and there's no other way to look at it than the way I am. It is pride so often when it is not grounded unambiguously and unequivocally on the truth of God's word. Beware. This man was utterly certain in his own righteousness, and he was dead wrong. Utterly dead wrong. So first of all, notice his pride. Secondly, notice his prejudice. Notice his prejudice. You see here, notice, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So you can see here the picture, the publican standing off in the corner, the Pharisee is standing apart from him, and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Now I want you to notice, in a certain sense, From the Pharisee's perspective, this was entirely justified. I truly am not like him. I'm not an open public cheat. I'm not defrauding people every day with what I do. I am different from him. And here's the important thing. This prejudice is not because that Pharisee looked at the publican and said, He's doing wrong. The publican was a sinner. The publican was doing wrong. He didn't need someone to look at him and say, oh, it's okay, you're not doing anything wrong. No, he was different from that publican, but here was the problem. What he was justifying was his own complete separation from someone that he was in even worse position before God. Now, let's be be very clear about what happens at the end of this story. The publican is off to the side, beating on the chest, can't even look up to heaven and saying, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, that man, that man went down to his house justified. Now you need to know what that word means. It's connected to the same word that that is used here in Luke to say, those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous. The Pharisee was convinced that he was righteous. He was wrong. Only the publican went home actually righteous. That word has the idea of being declared righteous, of being rendered righteous. God looked at the publican and said, I call you righteous, leaving this temple. That publican was far closer to God than this Pharisee who was so convinced of his own righteousness. It was his pride that utterly separated him even from seeing his own difficulty, his own separation, his own sin. He was justifying his separation from this publican based on his own pride, his own misplaced pride, in his righteousness, you say, "Where are you going with this?" I'm saying this. Both of these people were sinners. Both of them were vile sinners in God's eyes. But only one of them saw it. Only one of them saw it. Do you know? Both of them saw that the publican was a sinner. The Pharisee saw the publican was a sinner, and the publican saw that the publican was a sinner. The only thing the Pharisee missed was that he was too. And you know the deep, deep issue that I have seen in my own life, in my own relationships, is that this same kind of pride leads to so many relational conflicts and so many relational difficulties in our own relationships. Do you know what kind of relationships? I just want you to think, and I'm testifying really to my own experience as a married person here today. How often do we as spouses get so irritated at the sin of our spouse because inwardly we say, I never would do that. I never would fall that deeply. I never would do what my spouse is doing. I am not like them. And the great danger when we do that is what make the tendency that we can fall into is really to be elevating ourselves in pride. I wouldn't wouldn't talk like they do. I wouldn't fall into that kind of sin. I wouldn't do that. The whole time, we're missing what our real picture is in front of God. Yes, it might be true that I would never do what my spouse is, but it's equally true that my spouse has never or would never fall in the ways that I do. And oftentimes, I am seeing their sin in the starkest black and white. Never! And, and, and honestly, it may be heinous sin in God's eyes. But then I look at my own sin and I say, but it's a little more gray when I do it. They are X. They are X. I only do some bad things over here. Sometimes I fear. Sometimes I say this. Sometimes I'm unkind. I just do those bad things. But they are That sin. Beware. Beware. You know, I just I just would just encourage you, if you are facing your own relational conflict, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family, whether it's in this church, I would just counsel you tonight to really ask yourself whether you have had the spirit of the Pharisee to be very black and white on someone else's sin that, you know, I would never fall into. I could not fall into that sin. And whether you're looking at your own sins in the relationship, your own failings, your own difficulties, just a little bit of gray here. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'd never say I'm perfect. I would never say that I'm totally without blame in this situation. But you know, it's not so bad. Beware. This is pride that leads to prejudice That leads to complete isolation. Pharisee standing off from the publican. I'm glad I'm not like him. Do you know the one issue about this Pharisee? He never could have helped that publican. He never could have helped him. He never could have gone to him like Jesus went to sinners to identify with them and call them to repentance. His own pride and his own prejudice made him useless to reach other people. And the problem with our own relational conflicts is that our pride and our prejudice make it impossible for God to use us to call back the sinner on the other side of the relationship. Oh, friends, when we humble ourselves, when the helium balloon loses that helium, when we get that balloon pricked in our own pride, of our own pride and our prejudice, suddenly we're in a completely different position to actually minister to others. You see, this is what is so tragic about this story. Notice verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house, this publican went down to his house justified rather than the other because Jesus says, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Can we just make this one point? You and I can never be righteous before God for what we are not morally. I'm not a sinner like that. That won't justify us before God. It won't make us right. We can never be justified by God. Jesus is making clear on what we do. I'm a good person. I go to church. I do religious functions. I do spiritual things. Jesus says that person will never be justified when he trusts in himself that he is righteous. There's only one way to be justified. The only way to be justified with God and to be in right relationship with other people is thirdly, to follow the pattern of the publican. Will you notice with me here? What's the pattern for our pride? What's the pattern for our prejudice that holds other people at stiff arm based on our own perceived superiority? Notice verse 13. Will you look at it with me? And the publican standing afar off. Standing afar off. Not with the isolation of contempt like the the Pharisee had. The isolation of conviction. Utter conviction at his own unworthiness. Notice, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Will you notice what his posture toward God was? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now you need to understand something about the Greek here. That's just wonderful. This is a very unusual word that Jesus uses when he says, God, be merciful. The only other place it's used in our New Testament is in the book of Hebrews. When it speaks of there being a reconciliation for our sins. Do you know what the idea of this publican was saying? He was saying, God, be reconciled to me. God, be reconciled. Be propitiated to me. God, I need a sacrifice. God, I need someone to redeem me. God, he wasn't just saying, God, be nice to me. He's saying, God, I've got a problem that needs to be reconciled between you and me. Do you know, friends, you and I know something that Jesus' first century listeners didn't know yet. Jesus was telling a story about a publican, who could only be reconciled to God by a sacrifice that the preacher was going to make, Jesus of Nazareth. When he hung on that cross, and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he cried out, finally, it is finished, just before he died. He was making the propitiation, the reconciliation for your sin and my sin, no matter how dark, no matter how heinous. Friends, do you want to be justified before God? Do you want to leave this service this evening declared righteous by God? It will never be based on your moral superiority over others. It will never be based on your spiritual activity, what you do, It can only be based on what Jesus has already done in becoming the sacrifice, the propitiation, the reconciliation for your sin and mine. Have you been justified in that way? Have you trusted Jesus as the only reconciler, the only sacrifice, the only propitiation for your sin? But there's one other thing about this publican. This publican not only had a relationship with God that said, God, be merciful to me. I love what he says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And do you know what what the, the scholars in Greek tell us? The real idea behind this is he is saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner or this sinner. God, be merciful to the sinner. The Pharisee looked around the room and only saw sinners. The publican looked around the room and really only saw one sinner, himself. God, if there's only one sinner in this room, I know who it is. It's the guy in the mirror. There's that wonderful old song, It's Me, It's Me, It's Me, O oh Lord, Standing in the Need of Prayer. Now my brother, Now my sister, Now my husband, Now my wife. It's me, O oh Lord, Standing in the Need of Prayer. Do you know what that is, friends? That's humility. Jesus says, Everyone that humbles himself will be exalted because God resists the proud, and gives grace, lavishes His grace on the humble who say, God, have mercy on this sinner. I'm not going to look around the room trying to find every other sinner that I can be superior to. God. God be propitiated to this one and this one primarily. You know, friends, that kind of humble attitude, the wonderful part is that when we have that kind of humble attitude, suddenly we are freed to give God's grace and love to the sinners around us. When you wake up every morning and look in the mirror and say, God, I'm only here today because you gave grace to this sinner in the mirror and you take that humble posture through the entire day do you know what's going to be hap- do you know what's going to happen other people's sin isn't going to irritate you as much other people's faults and their flaws aren't going to be those red letter, capital, black and white kind of offenses that we get so offended about. I can't believe she did that to me. I can't believe he said that about me. Why? Because we're looking in the mirror and we're saying, God, my sin is, the, my sin is so grievous in your sight. You, your grace is sufficient for me. So God, your grace is sufficient for that one too. You know what the Pharisees should have been saying? He should have been looking at himself in the mirror dealing with his own pride and then God would have equipped him with the love and the grace to go minister to a sinner who also needed to get right with God. And I just want to encourage all of us tonight, whatever relational conflict you're dealing with, make sure your own pride and make sure your own prejudice isn't hindering you from showing the same kind of forgiving, yes, sometimes confronting and rebuking, And yes, ultimately, restoring grace of God that he showed in Jesus Christ to the person right in the mirror. You know, friends, I love this story. I love this story because it hits me right between the eyes. It says, Peter, who's the star of your stories? Who's the star of your testimonies? Who's the star of your relationships? Who's the star of your relational conflicts? And what it tells me is this, Peter? You better humble yourself. You better humble yourself to focus on your own faults and flaws in your relationships. And you know what, Peter? When by my grace you remove the big old beam of pride, and prejudice in your own relationship with me, you're going to be able to start seeing clearly to help get out the little speck in that other person that has been irritating you so much. Friends tonight. Let's look for ourselves. Pride. Prejudice. Let's follow the pattern of humility that we see before us tonight.